Hello, and welcome to the fourth episode of Coffee and Cocktails. I'm your host, Anne Wand. On today's show, we will be discussing a very sensitive topic that I'm sure many academics, PhD students, and early career researchers can relate to, as our subject will be dealing with isolation in academia. Unfortunately, one of our guests, Johanna Moselkova from the Institute of Social and Cultural Anthropology at Oxford University, will not be able to join us today, but she is with us in spirit and has provided us with plenty of material for us to discuss on the show. So with that, I will introduce our guest, Dr. Chelsea Robles, Research Specialist at the Institute of International Education in New York City. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, as per usual, we'll start off by having you tell us what drink you are having for the show, followed by a little bit about yourself. I'm having coffee uh, with a little bit of vanilla creamer. Oh, that sounds, <laughs> and, um, that sounds great. Yeah, I'm a research specialist at the Institute of International Education. Right now I'm working on research projects on the internationalization of higher education in different countries. And what, what countries in particular are you looking at? Uh, well, most recently I worked on a study on Brazil, but then we also work on projects all over like Saudi Arabia, Australia, Germany, and um, we work with a consortium of partners in different countries. Wow. It so, sounds like you've got quite, quite um, a vast network of connections at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's one good thing about the position is we do have a big network and a lot of different partners that we're involved with. Oh, that's, that's really good to hear. Now, I know you had, um, as part of part of today's discussion, Chelsea and Johanna had created lists of um, issues that sort of come up with, when it gar- with regards to isolating factors in academia. And I know that um, Johanna, while she worked um, and is still working as a PhD student, uh, you worked as a postdoctoral researcher in Japan, and I thought before we get into some of the isolating factors while doing your postdoc, maybe you could tell us a bit about Japanese culture and Japanese university um, life. Okay. Um, Japanese universities are a lot different than other universities I've worked in. You know, students and postdocs, and I would imagine faculty too, tend to work alone a lot more often than they do, you know, in other universities that I've worked in, you know, for example, you know, I know at the postdoc or sorry, at the PhD level, students don't meet with their uh, supervisors as often. They tend to, you know, just work alone in an office by themselves. And, you know, it just seemed, it seems in general, there's a lot less interaction. And at the postdoc level, your involvement with the department you know, seems to depend a lot on, you know, whether you're a teaching postdoc or a research postdoc. So if you're, if you have some teaching responsibilities, you're engaged a little bit more with students and other faculty. However, if you're a postdoc that's primarily working on research, you know, it's not as easy to get integrated into a department or even the university. So, I mean, just to compare it to my experience at Oxford, like, you know, you're always aware or made aware of different lectures you can go to, different activities within the department. Whereas in Japan, that kind of information isn't disseminated as broadly or as widely. I mean, at least in my experience and, you know, in the experience of other academics that I met in Japan. Um, Uh, One thing you'd mentioned before the show was that there is this, and I do think this kind of... um, 
has implication in, in terms of Western culture as well. This com- competitive side to see who can work the longest. And I was wondering if you could provide some examples. Yeah, so I noticed that a lot within my department and also, you know, I heard a lot of stories about that from other postdocs and even faculty members that I came into contact with during the two years I was there. So I know in, you know, some of the science-based labs, students and postdocs would try to stay late in their lab to, you know, try to stay later than somebody in a position more senior than them. And, you know, I know that that's common in, you know, office work cultures where people don't go home until somebody in a higher position goes home. And, you know, I also noticed that in the university, um, uh, in my department in my second year, when there were a couple of other postdocs, I, I noticed that. So would you say that there's this, um, pressure almost to sort of, um, prove yourself? Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. There is a pressure to prove that you can work harder or appear that you're working harder than other people in your workplace. So uh, what would you say are some of the um, isolating factors as a result of this particular work environment? Well, I didn't experience that kind of competitiveness, you know, directed at myself and I wasn't involved, mm. you know, in, in competing against other academics in my department because I was a postdoc working on my own project with my own funding. So I wasn't you know, I, I personally didn't get involved with that. But what did you experience in terms of your work as a postdoctoral researcher? Well, in terms of isolation within the department, I mean, being a, a postdoctoral fellow, I, I wasn't involved with, like, the student community. Um, and I also wasn't considered part of the faculty, even though I think on paper we are considered part of the faculty, but in terms of like day-to-day work, um, postdocs in my department weren't invited to, or I shouldn't say postdocs myself, I wasn't, you know, invited to research group meetings or, you know, if there was a lecture going on in the department, I wouldn't find out about it unless somebody told me. So there is a real isolation from you know, anything going on in my department. And then outside of the department, you know, there isn't really an easy way to find out unless you know somebody in a department who knows about a lecture or event that invites you or tells you about it. So there was that aspect of the isolation. I mean, I think in most universities, uh, foreign, anybody, I mean, (laughs) could go for students or or faculty, you know, there's definitely a linguistic isolation because most academics speak Japanese, not many speak English. And even though I was in a department where classes were taught in English, um, and that's because I was in a department of international development where most of the students there were foreign students and they were being taught in English. However, in day-to-day, you know, kind of communication, the faculty still would just speak, you know, mostly spoke Japanese. So there was definitely that isolation within the department, even though, you know, if I talked to students there, I could speak in English, but any other interaction with the university, you know, for example, going to the library, uh, dealing with, if I had to deal with an administrative procedure, all of that 
was difficult not speaking much Japanese. Well, I was going to say, I, I think that, you know, those of us who, who have who do or have worked in academia, um, when you receive that glorious email that says you've been accepted into a, a postdoctoral scheme, in many cases, yeah. we end up moving to countries where we don't know the language, you know, and, and when exactly. we when we send yeah. out job applications, we might be sending them to the Netherlands, we might be sending them to some parts of China. And when you get that job application, you, it, you don't know until maybe three months before you're supposed to move, oh, this is where you're going. Mm -hmm. So you're not only having to deal with a cultural transition, but a linguistic transition that you haven't had several years to prepare for. And if the postdoc, yeah. as you said, is only for two years, that's just enough time to wrap your head around the situation before you move to the next destination. So I would imagine that can be um, quite isolating as well because you don't necessarily feel settled either, which could be yeah. problematic. I know one of the things that um, I had mentioned to you uh, through previous discussions is that um, across the board, there seems to be an issue regarding work habits in that mm -hmm. in any society, there's this idea of we got to work, eat, sleep, repeat. And um, there isn't necessarily this tendency to step out of that habit. And I know Johanna had mentioned that as a result of this pressure to continue working to prove oneself, that mm -hmm. there, especially in the doctoral program, there's this feeling of guilt that if I am social, if I go out to dinner, if, God forbid, I take a Saturday off, that somehow I'm being a bad person and really I should be focusing on my thesis when in reality, as a, as a human, you're, of course, more than titled to have a weekend off. And I wanted to yeah. know from your experience, um, how did you find the PhD in terms of, of those factors in comparison to the postdoc? Um, well, I definitely had more of those feelings during the PhD and I'd say not really so much as a postdoc. Um, and I'm not sure why I think that's a really interesting phenomenon. Um, yeah, I can't think of why I wouldn't, I mean, I guess, I guess in a way the postdoc did feel more like a job, you know, so I was able to you know, I got into more of a habit of going in, doing my work and then leaving and doing something else. Um, whereas in the PhD, I was working on it all the time, you know, from morning until late at night, all my friends were working on it. And I think that more immersive experience probably led to more of a feeling of guilt when I wasn't working on it. Whereas in the postdoc, I kept my time a lot more structured because you know, I, I didn't want to burn myself out at that point. So I was really focusing more on keeping my work-life balance. And I know I can speak from personal yeah. experience when I finished my doctorate and for the first time in six years, I took Christmas off. You know, mm. my parents were, you know, those thrilled, obviously. My husband was very happy to see me emerge from the cave um, but there is that pressure even during holidays that you, you never rest. There is no such thing as, as vacation, which as you said, if, if you don't learn to sort of balance your work life and private life, that can have, um, absolute implications. Uh, and so with that, I was, I was going to ask you, what were the, some of the ways in which you've, you've dealt with, um, isolation in, in the past, either through your PhD or your postdoc? Um, 
Well, in my PhD, it was kind of built into the program and also being at Oxford and being part of a college, you know, I never felt isolated because there were always people around. There were always, you know, you could leave the library and go into the common room and talk to people you knew. But in Japan, I had to make more of an effort to try to get out of the isolated setting that I found myself in. So, I mean, one of the main or first ways I did that was by taking language classes. So even though my research was all in English, I didn't necessarily need it that much for work in order to kind of get around, of course, to get around in the university and in the city I was living in. I started to take classes to improve my Japanese. I took them both at the university and then I signed up for these informal meetup groups that are in, I I think, almost every city now. So I started going to language meetups at pubs to kind of informally practice Japanese. And then there would be Japanese there practicing English. Um, And then I took a formal class at the university. So that was one way I dealt with that language-related isolation. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about, um, you said you created an association while you were doing your postdoc for early career researchers. How did that come about? Okay, so that was one of the key uh, events during my postdoc that really helped me break out of this bubble of isolation that I was in while I was there. Um, So through networking and you know, just trying to meet as many people as I could outside of the department. Um, I eventually was introduced uh, to a foreign professor who had himself also been a JSPS postdoc, and that's the program I was in. It's the Japan Society for the Promotion of Science. Um, So that professor was really interested in supporting postdocs specifically the JSPS postdocs who had all come from other countries. It was kind of fortunate timing for me because he had been talking about starting an early career researchers group, not just for postdocs, but for any anyone who identifies as an early career researcher. So that was assistant professors on these five-year shorter-term contracts, the postdocs from any program. And we also opened it up to PhD students nearing the completion of their degree. One of the other JSPS postdocs I had met through networking and together a group of, I think five or six of us wrote a proposal to the university and formally established this group. And so through that we did, you know, kind of normal early career researcher activities, you know, from social events to organizing mini seminars where we would share the research we were working on because we were all from different departments. I mean, I think those were the main things, different speaking events and, um, you know, and then through that group, we also found out about other opportunities to get involved with uh, research presentations or conferences at different universities. Um, So it really broadened my whole network. And, you know, I think groups like that, societies are kind of taken for granted in other universities, but in Japan, you know, I was kind of surprised that there hadn't already been a group like that established. So, you know, it was kind of exciting being part of founding it and and seeing the interest from uh, ECRs and other departments that wanted to get involved. I think that's I think that's absolutely excellent. Um, 
Yeah. One of the things I'd actually joked about uh, for people who are thinking about doing a doctorate, and I, I say this, and um, is there, I, I always say that when by the time you finish your doctorate, you look like and feel like the worst version of yourself because you've been working so hard and you've been trying so desperately to finish this assignment. But if you think about it, it's like running a triathlon or doing Ironman in the form of academic yeah. writing. And I think that when you get to the postdoc stage, at least from my standpoint, there is this need to say, okay, I need to stop this habit. So how do I, mm -hmm. how do I deal with isolation? How do I make sure I get out of the house? How do I make sure I'm meeting people? And I think the way in which you chose to do that is a really good example of how to be proactive in your department. Um, but I also think there's other things that we can do outside of our departments just from our, yeah. our mental sanity. And I know for myself, one of the, the biggest things that helped me was getting a dog, which I know sounds mm. quite simplistic, <laughs> but just having a happy creature in the house all the time who's just so yeah. happy to be alive, it's, it's infectious mm -hmm. because you think, well, if my dog's happy, then, then maybe I should be a little bit happy too. And even just exercise, yoga, um, like you yeah, said, yeah. social media is a good way to kind of interact and network with other people. Even teaching, um, despite you know the amount of hours it takes to prepare for lessons, meeting mm -hmm. students who are enthusiastic can also sort of reinvigorate that passion within yourself as to why you chose that particular discipline in the first place. But exactly. I, I know that with Johanna, um, we had also kind of discussed um, what are ways in which we also deal with this isolation factor. And I had joked about how, um, you know, I, I thought maybe I should take up baking. You know, that's not mm. necessarily uh, a way to meet people unless, you know, of course you want to give away the stuff that you've made. You become very popular in the neighborhood. Um, but she said, getting back to this idea of, of needing to prove yourself and it's sort of the guilt factor, she had said from a PhD standpoint, just like you had said with a postdoc, that it's important to separate work and leisure and make sure you have mm -hmm. time for both. And it seems to me that when you did your postdoc, you decided that you would put in your hours, but then you would make sure that you had time off in the evenings. So was there anything yeah. um, outside of maybe the academic environment that you did in order to sort of keep sane, so to speak? Yeah, I, I mean, I did all kinds of things. I joined a sumo wrestling class at one point. I uh, took a lot of physical activity classes like body combat and body jam, and uh, which was like a dance class, kind of like Zumba. Sure. Um, so just anything to kind of get out, meet different groups of people. And I think the exercise component was really important for me too. Um, so I tried to get involved with different outdoor kind of activities, like going on hikes with different groups. Um, I climbed Mount Fuji while I was there. Um, and uh, taking day trips and that's, you know, just, yeah, trying to, well, <laughs> trying to do as much to get out and stay active as I could. I will say I never thought in a million years I'd have you say I took a sumo wrestling class. Is know, it as I envision in my head? <laughs> <laughs> or was it slightly modified? Uh, well, it was modified. It was at the university, so it wasn't uh, so fully know, clothed. Don't need to gain 500 wrestlers. pounds. Okay. No, no, no. These were all like... 
you know, uh, an assortment of sizes of uh, participants, but <laughs> I mean, it wasn't professional. It was kind of more of a, a you know, kind of for fun thing. Well, that physical activity. That sounds that sounds absolutely excellent. Um, I just want to say, yeah. um, I think this is such a really important topic, and I think it's really great that you can sort yeah, of share yeah. your um, multicultural experience with us, especially for those who are thinking about going abroad and then, you know, initially starting to think, well, how am I going to make friends? How am I going to, um, you know, find a place to live? And I think hearing your experience is really useful for people like myself um, if we decide to venture outside of. Uh, the environment that we currently live in. Uh, so with that, yeah. I'd like to say that's that's it from us at Coffee and Cocktails with your host, Dan Wand. Uh, I'd like to thank you again, Chelsea, for joining us at the studio this afternoon. And yeah, for, thanks again for having me. Absolute pleasure. And for those of you who've enjoyed the show, you can join our Coffee and Cocktails Facebook page at Coffee and Cocktails 1, where you can learn more about upcoming episodes and future plans to expand the podcast. In the meantime, that's it for now. Thanks for listening and have a great week.